Hello everybody, welcome back to another week of DQ with Damani. Last weekend's fights were very exciting and I'm happy to get you up to speed on the results, some analysis of the in-ring work, and deliver you some more hot off the press news from around the world of boxing. I may be new to this podcasting game, but my experience around the sport definitely gives me an edge over most podcasters in the business. A lot of these guys are sofa coaches and sofa seconds, sofa cut men, guys who have absolutely no in-ring experience. The type of guys you see watch a UFC fight and tell their favorite fighter to just stand up after getting hit with a blast double from a clinch exit. The type of guys you'd see watch a Fundora match and say, just fight behind the jab. Sometimes the lack of self-awareness in these people is hilarious and other times it's just plain disappointing. Such is the case for many fights that happened this past Saturday on January 7th. So we're going to start with the smaller sample sizes first. I know you guys are very excited to hear about the tank matchup against Hector Garcia. But across the political border, Shakur Stevenson has opened up on what he wants to do next. As a reporter a few months ago, he's had some troubles getting matchups. Although he has been named as the mandatory for a Pipple Cruz, Cruz ducked him. There's just way too little motion going on for Shakur Stevenson right now. Despite the fact that he dropped two of his belts to move up to 135 pounds. As a result, this man has started calling out people from across the border. He called out Frank Martin. Frank, as we both know, both audience, spectators, fighters alike, we all know that Frank put on a spectacular match against Michelle Rivera. This man, he absolutely demolished him. And I, I can comfortably say that he is a true contender at 135 pounds. It's just that right now, they're it's just PBC, they've been very slow with making these fights happen. And despite the fact that Shakur is fighting under Bob Arum's top rank, he still wants to hop on over and get it done. Any way possible. This man, Shakur Stevenson, welcomes Frank Martin Showdown. I promise you, I will fight dude in a heartbeat. 25 years old, just left the super featherweight division after, you know, not making weight like he was supposed to. It's all planned and calculated for Shakur at this moment in time. And his promotion, they haven't had anything for him set up on his plate. No names have come across the table, probably other than journeymen, people to just keep him busy. And obviously Shakur doesn't want that. So... Calling out Frank Martin, it, was, it, it, it would be a good way to keep his name both relevant and to encourage Martin to hop across the border himself. I, at this point in time, do not see Al Heyman and Bob Arum coming together to make this fight happen, especially since it won't be for a title. It could be made for an interim belt, but the division is just way too slow, and I don't really see Bob Arum making the great effort to send Shakur over there. I, I really don't. But on paper, I am 100% confident that this fight will be fireworks. On paper, this is a great fight. Both men have a continued work ethic that reflects what is necessary to become world champion. So even if this fight wasn't for a belt, it still is a championship level fight in my opinion. Of course, Shakur really wants this fight against Martin, but... Martin, being the man that he is, he only wants championship fights. Like I mentioned earlier, if this fight were to take place, the most it would be for is an interim or regional belt, which Frank doesn't want. Right now, Frank, he's chasing after Devin Haney. 
Haney's in a, the same situation. He's across the political border, but Frank Martin is adamant that he will get this fight done. Now, in the meantime, they want to keep Frank busy. A lot of people are naming Roly Romero, who just came off of a knockout loss against Tank. I see this fight materializing sooner than later. Probably the first two quarters of this year, this fight will definitely get made. The two men will definitely sign the contract. And you know for a fact that this fight will be full of trash talk. Roly, he's not shy of the press almost every video he's in he's calling out somebody else most famously errol spence jr which i find hilarious but this man roley he still has title aspirations and frank despite all of the talk from boxing media he has shown his true colors he is a monster he wants to dismantle all of the competition put in front of him roley will just be another stepping stone i do believe roley has a great amount of skill he is definitely at the top at least top 15 of the division so there's absolutely no excuses for this fight not to get made i know once again that if this fight gets done the trash talk will be insane you guys will be entertained come fight night absolutely Whew. now we're on to boo boo demetrius andrade put on a clinic against demon nicholson just like i believed he would I told you guys, this man Nicholson was a hungry challenger, and he gave Boo Boo exactly what he wanted, a real fight. From the middle rounds into the final rounds, Nicholson and Andrade were talking trash. I was screaming for most of it, I'll be honest. Every time Andrade would land a hit, he'd scream, come on, and a whole lot of expletives that I won't be saying on this show for obvious reasons. Nicholson would return fire and do the exact same thing. It was like watching a fight back home in the projects, good old Sumner projects. Two black men beating each other with all their strength, mouthing off with no regard for tomorrow, only to show love and respect at the end of it all. Andrade was cut on his eyebrow from two accidental headbutts, which was expected, considering the fact that Andrade, he very often leads with his head upwards when he initially initiates a clinch, rather than tucking his chin and keeping his head low with his hands high to avoid that. Andrade, I, I have to be honest with you guys. His ring generalship is beautiful to watch. Stepping to the side, creating an angle off the L step, launching four hit combos. This man was feeding this man Nicholson three pieces, four pieces, five pieces with ease. It looked so easy. There were a couple of times where he did miss a couple big, you know, uppercuts, but his hooks landed, body shots landed, jab, cross landed very sweet. This man absolutely delivered. And he knocked him down twice. I, I can't complain with that performance. And I don't see how boxing media or fans could complain about it. Despite the fact that it wasn't a knockout, Andrade still put on a show. And I guarantee that this man will be back on PBC. I don't see why Al Heyman or anyone else at Showtime PBC would not want to keep Andrade. He entertained. And a lot of people feel that in his earlier fights... Boo-Boo was too slow, Boo-Boo, he, he, he decided to flex a little bit, but this time he meant business. From the opening bell, in several rounds, this man, Boo-Boo, came forward and just unloaded power shots, power shots, power shots, power shots, as often as he could to keep the crowd entertained and also show the judges that he is dominating this fight, which is exactly what happened. Boo-Boo dominated. Nicholson, I don't think he took a single round off of him, and the scores reflected that. 
Remember when I said Jermaine Franklin's fight against Dillian White was a robbery? Yeah, there's a new fight that takes the top spot now. Speedy Rashidi Ellis was robbed in brutal fashion this past Saturday in a fight where he broke a record for jabs. I was shocked when I read the numbers on the screen, a draw with 114-112 being the deciding factor from the other two judges. I had Ellis winning across the first 11 rounds, dropping the last round off after he was knocked down twice by his opposition. Ellis showed great ring control, great boxing IQ, but taking that last round off and cruising, allowing his opponent to step inside and deliver shots that changed the pace of the match definitely hurt him. I was extremely disappointed in the judges and their scoring, as well as hearing the scores overall. I was in disbelief. In my opinion, there's absolutely no way that the match could have been as close as the judges scored it. Reasonable scoring in boxing is becoming more and more difficult to come by, which hurts the credibility of both the sport and the fighters involved. A lot of fans aren't going to want to tune in if they see that their fighter, or even a fighter who doesn't deserve to win, gets handed a blessing, a complete blessing on the cards from the judges. It, it, it makes no sense. Even Abner Mares and Brian Custer agreed with my sentiments. They didn't believe that the scoring reflected the quality of the fight. Ellis's ring generalship was more than enough to keep the fight in his favor, and surviving the 12th round despite being knocked down would have definitely given him a win, or at the very least, a draw. I am fully convinced that there were higher powers at play here. It's impossible to give a clear win to a fighter who just lost the majority of the fight. It just makes absolutely no sense. Once again, it's not adding up. The math ain't mathin', certainly. Unless there's a knockout, it's just impossible. Rallying back in the last round to win a fight by decision is unheard of, even in a Rocky movie. A clean knockout would have guaranteed a loss for Speedy Rashidi, of course, but that was not the case. During the post-fight interview, Ellis was dejected, completely disappointed in himself, and claimed that he didn't agree with the decision handed out, which is typical for a fighter who just experienced a complete upset, but there's more than just a loss on the plate for him. Mentally, Ellis had to understand that despite all the work he had done, the excellent jab, his beautiful cross, and an amazing uppercut from the inside, he still lost the fight in a manner that discredited him and his work. I stand by Ellis and other fighters who have been robbed of decisions like this across boxing as well as MMA, which has its own set of issues. It seems both sports are beginning to have major problems with scoring, and there must be some sort of reform to avoid trash decisions such as this as the one we saw on Saturday night. Those scores were disrespectful to Ellis, his cornermen, and all of the fans who attended live and watched at home. I hope Ellis receives a rematch, or at the very least another test to prove that this loss was nothing more than a hefty judge's error. The Boots and his fight this past Saturday went the distance, which is a first for the Philly fighter. Most of his opposition has fallen by devastating knockout, but this recent matchup was against a slippery Ukrainian. Karim Chukadzian used a brilliant style of boxing that many Eastern Europeans, such as Dmitry Bivol, employed to manage distance and momentum. This involves a lot of feints, rhythm steps, that create enough separation for striking opportunities, as well as creating false windows for the opponent that may leave them open for attack. There were many points during the fight where Boots swung big but just couldn't seem to connect, all due to the situation that I just described. Chukadzian danced around the ring making Boots miss on several occasions, but couldn't create a solid offensive effort for himself. There seems to be a lot of people who consider this to be a bad night for Boots, but I fully disagree. How is it that one fight without a highlight knockout determines whether or not a fight is good or bad? 
Since when does a knockout determine the quality of your performance? That makes no sense to me. Sometimes your opponent is more skilled on the feet than you, and there's little you can do about it. Now, I don't have the same attitude towards fights like Garcia versus Tego, where we saw Tego on the back foot for almost the entire fight, rarely engaging Ryan when he had the chance to. The difference between the two opponents is that Chukadzian was willing to trade punches with Boots when it was possible. He used his windows for attack wisely, while Tego simply continued to run away, cowering from shots that would have otherwise cleanly knocked him out and ended the fight. Tego is definitely a talented fighter. I'm not going to disrespect him. Any fighter that is on television or has a pay-per-view slot is definitely a talented fighter, no question. But that fight against Ryan Garcia was overall just a very poor showing from him. Chukadzian, on the other hand, he can walk away with some sense of fulfillment because he landed some shots on boots and gave just enough good looks to keep the fight entertaining. It's completely out of pocket to say boots had a bad night when he did the best he could against an opponent that moved smart, not allowing him to cut the ring off with footwork that could leave most others in the division like San Yonis dizzy. It's also important to remember that Chukadzian has never been knocked down before. His only prior loss, remember, he's only lost once before this fight. It came from decision, which happened during the Super 8 tournament some years ago. To expect Boots to knock him out might be a reach, especially when looking at his prior fights, all of his opponents having no more than two losses. Despite all of this, Boots secured the interim IBF World to Weight Championship of the World, officially designating him as the mandatory, regardless of political movements, for Errol Spence. It's high time Boots got his shot at the top brass, but he was eager to call out Stan Yonis and Ortiz, who are meant to lock horns sometime soon. I believe Boots will take over the division within the next one to three years, and it's certainly not out of the question to assume so, seeing as how quickly the new generation is achieving upward momentum. So, just before we get to Tank, we've got breaking news. And when I say breaking, this is breaking. This just dropped hot off the press just now. Anthony Joshua finally decided to make the jump over the pond. Finally, man. I am very excited. I, I, I've been waiting for mad long for this man to come to America. So many people have been saying that he needs to hop over the ocean. Just get over here. Cross the Atlantic, man. Ain't nothing, ain't nothing wrong coming here to train. Even though he had Robert Garcia in his corner for the second Usyk fight, Joshua preferred the comfort of training at home in England. Today, we received word that Anthony Joshua, the former unified heavyweight champion of the world, will be training with Texas's very own Derek James. Derek James hosts three world champions and one undisputed world champion, Jermall Charlo, the WBC, Jermell Charlo, who is undisputed currently, and Errol Spence Jr., who was unified with three belts, just waiting on that last belt, man. Gotta take on Crawford, but this isn't for ESJ. This is all Anthony Joshua. He's targeting an April return with names such as Dempsey McKean and Philip Hergovich, who was previously the mandatory for Alexander Usyk, which has been rescinded. McKean seems like a likely choice, seeing how he is an undefeated 32-year-old heavyweight coming off of a knockout victory. The Australian boasts an impressive 22-0 record, with his last victory earning him the IBF Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. As far as dimensions go, height and reach, McKean stands at 6'6", the exact same height as Joshua currently. The only thing separating the two men is stance. This is very important when it comes to fighting because styles make fights. Shout out to Sean Porter. 
Joshua prefers the orthodox position, while McKean is a heavyweight boxer puncher, little rangier, who prefers to work out a southpaw. If McKean is chosen as Joshua's next opponent, it will surely be a special match for both men. For McKean, it is the opportunity to rise into the top flight of the heavyweight division. For Anthony Joshua, my boy AJ, it is the chance to show the world that he is still a worthwhile challenger for the heavyweight titles, be it the WBC or the IBO, IBF, WBA, and WEO, which is currently held by Alexander Usyk. I wouldn't mind seeing a trilogy fight. Keep your eyes open for a fight announcement from the Joshua camp very soon. In the main event, Tank Davis delivered yet again. Bob Santos was correct though. Hector didn't make the fight easy at all. The earlier Garcia was eager to trade with Tank from beginning to end, and of course he made evidently clear throughout the fight up until he got knocked out with his left and right shots to the body. His body shots, perfect. They landed and they gave Tank a lot of trouble. I will not lie. I am a Tank fan, but I have to be completely factual here. This man gave Tank some trouble in the beginning. Hector's jab was really a good showcase of how to fight a shorter fighter when the dimensions are in your favor. Although in between rounds, Tank did his usual and downloaded the data, just like an iPhone. Everything necessary, he was able to process very quickly in order to dismantle Hector. Hector, of course, being an excellent counterpuncher, had an extremely difficult time with Tank striking because both fighters were waiting for the perfect opportunity to throw. There were multiple points during the fight at which Hector stood completely still, frozen, like the statue of God, <laughs> Yoel Romero, just waiting for Tank to shoot his iconic overhand. These opportunities came for Hector across the early stretch of the fight, but Tank realized quickly that Hector was relying on his heavy shots to return fire. This, of course, led Tank to switch his stance a few times, opting to use a Philly shell and move his head, throwing uppercuts and hooks that eventually gave him access to the mid-range that he couldn't reach prior because of Hector's jab and 1-2. With enough effort in the 8th in the round, the fight changed dramatically. Tank landed an uppercut-hook combo that rocked Garcia to the core, buckling his legs and leaving him stumbling backwards. This man was on chicken legs. Garcia tried his best to guard against Tank's onslaught, but of course... Like all Tank opposition, it was just too much. He had way too many punches coming his way. He couldn't protect himself well, and he got rocked to the core. Garcia tried his best. Tried his best. I'm not saying at all that this man laid down and let this man Tank beat on him. He really tried his best. You can see in the footage if you watch it back, because, of course, PBC Showtime, they're very well known for uploading their highlights usually the same night the fight's over. This man, he covered up. He tried. He tried his best to cover up, but he just couldn't. Tank found every single hole he could in his guard and just exposed him. As soon as the eighth round ended, Garcia began walking, but to the wrong corner. He had sustained so much damage that he'd completely lost his sense of direction. The ref had to help him to the correct corner. And when Garcia reached his corner, man, he immediately told them that he was having issues with his vision. Bob Santos told Garcia that he could continue, but Garcia denied him twice, effectively giving the no mas call that many did not expect, even myself. I thought Tank was just going to finish him clean, but Garcia, he knew he was too strong for his own good. His chin, too solid. He could not hang. I was shocked to see that Garcia quit on the stool. An undefeated warrior like himself going out like that sent a shockwave through my entire house. 
I was screaming. My brother was screaming. My mom was sitting there shocked as well. Everybody was just completely just blown away by the fact that this man, Tank, had made him quit. No, no disrespect, once again, because Hector, he tried his best. He really did. But some, sometimes your best just isn't enough against a guy who can hit his hardest tank. Humble in victory and humble in defeat, Garcia took this loss by technical knockout. This main event pay-per-view showcase proved that trading punches with Tank Davis can have devastating consequences. Going punch for punch with a fighter who has nuclear weapons in his gloves, weapons of mass destruction, it will absolutely never go in your favor. No matter how strong you think your chin is, you're not going to win against Tank. And although Garcia caught Tank when he had the chance to, it was not enough. So, this ends another week of DQ with Damani. I'm grateful to be able to bring you guys the best boxing news and analysis that I have to offer to you all. Please continue to support all of your local boxers. Those tickets are cheap. I'm seeing them for $45. There is no excuse for you to go out this coming weekend and support your local boxers. Please do that. These guys need to get paid. Please. This is your host, Damani Later. God bless and have an amazing week. Stay safe.